And here's the problem with alcoholism is it's a very complicated disease. You have three parts to that thing. You know, the first part is spiritual. You get sick spiritually. The book says that if you're alcoholic, the only chance you have a recovery is a spiritual awakening. So you get that spiritual aspect of the disease. And then the second part is mental. Buck says that the problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind. And the last part is physical. You have an allergy of the body. And that's the way, that's the order you get sick. You first get sick spiritually, then you get sick mentally, and then the last thing that goes to the physical body. But when you get well, it's just the opposite. You get well physically first, and then you get well mentally. And then the last thing you get well spiritually. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gents. That was the voice of Mr. Reno John that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode right here, right now, is brought to you by Kim, Trudy, Vicki, Steve, Allison, Tom, Jenny, Tony, Caroline, Christopher, Alana, Nestor, Blair, Jim, Jeffrey, Bill A., Karen, Peter, Gloria and Mike, you know what they did? All of those lovely folks, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. And I am so thankful. So I know that is way many more than we would normally have. Uh, this all came from our Sober Speak Live event that we had from last week. And so many people went to the website, made a donation. I, I truly am uh, thankful for all that. I just want to say their names again one more time. Kim, Trudy, Vicki, Steve, Allison, Tom, Jenny, Tony, Caroline, Christopher, Alana, Nestor, Blair, Jill, Jeffrey, Bill A., Karen, Peter, Gloria, and Mike. From my heart to yours, muchas gracias. There is my bilinguality coming at you. And please, once again, everybody, be assured 
that the donations go directly to expenses related to the podcast, such as software and hardware upgrades and, and ways for me to figure out how to make this more efficient and keep this thing going. This is truly service work. Uh, I promise you that my sponsor keeps me uh, uh, straight on that. But uh, anyway, thanks again, everybody. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So please take a seat around this virtual table and let's get started. As I mentioned, we had a Sober Speak Live event last week. It was on Friday night, uh, May 8th, with Mr. Bill C., and it was absolutely fantastic. We had, uh, we, we just had a lot of people there, okay? It, it was it a was ton, and, and I really, really did enjoy it. Uh, so many people have asked me, the, the ones who didn't get to make it, even the ones who were there and want to re-listen to it, if I will be publishing that event as an episode, and the answer is yes, I will. In fact, we'll have two parts to that. Uh, We'll have two episodes that are coming out of that time that we spent together last Friday night. Part one will feature Mr. Bill C in a kind of a a traditional live event like we've had with people in the past. And part two is going to be the Q&A session, question and answer, for those of you who were there and were asking Bill questions and uh, I absolutely, that was my favorite part, actually, both the questions that came in from you all and the answers from Bill C were absolutely fascinating. And the live music by Mr. Jim, Jim S, I must say, was superb. And I will be getting that out uh, on uh, an episode as well. He has recovery music. Uh, I didn't know what recovery music would be, but man, it was absolutely fantastic. My wife said that was her favorite part of the entire thing. And and I just want you to know that uh, the next live event we have will be with Mr. David G. on June 5th, Friday at 7 p.m. as well. Now, I usually wouldn't hold my live events this close together, but... I've had David G scheduled forever, and so I didn't want to put this thing off. So look for an upcoming email, possibly post on our social media, uh, and we'll have the Zoom ID information available there and also on our website, www.soberspeak.com. And so we're going to have, I think we're going to have some live music again. And once again, I plan on making it interactive. I'll have some questions for David G on the front end, and then I am going to open it up to you, beautiful souls, where you can ask David some questions yourself and have him respond to those questions. By the way, it was great. Absolutely great seeing so many of you last week. Now, unfortunately for me, uh, I could, there were like, oh, 350 or so people on the meeting and I couldn't do as much quote, looking around as I wanted to on the Zoom meeting because I actually had to concentrate what was going on on during the event and and making sure that Bill C had the questions he needed to have to answer and all that sort of stuff. I did get to see some of you after the meeting. When I say after, like, you know, we just kind of left the Zoom part on and we were all able to kind of uh, communicate with each other. And that was absolutely great. And before I forget it, I want to give out some recognitions to that live event. 
Buddy was there, Buddy C, Cassandra was there, the one who makes all the Instagram posts and Facebook posts and all that stuff for all of Sober Speak. Jim S. was there sharing his beautiful music as I talked about. Shannon, my bride, was there doing a whole lot of work both before that thing started and while it was happening. And most of all, I want to say thank you to Mr. Bill C. for taking time out of his schedule to be with us. Uh, It was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. All right, so I want to read you something here that I... uh, So I was doing a little meditation this morning and... I never know exactly what I'm going to read. I usually have five, six different things that I go back and forth between. But one of them is an email that I get on a daily on a daily basis, and that is from transitionsdaily.org. And you can go there and you can find them, uh, and you can subscribe to their daily email that they sent out. And one of the quotes on that transitionsdaily.org email that. Uh, I read this morning said this, it said, uh, the title of it was disease. And this is a quote from Bill W during a talk that he had. And it, and if you're interested in looking it up, it's on as Bill sees at page 32. And it says some strongly object to the AA position that alcoholism is an illness. The concept they feel removes moral responsibility from alcoholics. As any AA knows, this is far from true. We do not use the concept of sickness to absolve our members from responsibility. On the contrary, we use the fact of fatal illness to clamp the heaviest kind of moral obligation onto the sufferer, the obligation to use AA's 12 steps to get well. Bill W. in a talk from 1960, AA, uh, as Bill sees it, page 32, if you want to look it up on your own. But I thought that was a great quote. All right, folks, now on to a little bit of Mr. Now on to Mr. Reno John. So, Let me just warn you right up front, if you are one of those listeners that takes a kind of uh, uh, offense or you just don't like to hear me giggling and or laughing, you should stop the recording right now and move on to another episode that is not quite so entertaining to moi. Reno John is hilarious and he has an excellent message at the same time. You are in for a treat. John, Reno John, will be 30 years sober this October. We discuss, number one, how he received his nickname, Reno John, and uh, we discussed the other people that he got sober with, including all of their nicknames. <laughs> this is hilarious. Including Dumpster Bill. You got to hear the story about Dumpster Bill. Um, AA is quite a society, I tell you. John discusses the difference between long timers and old timers. He discusses his, quote, normal upbringing in Utah, and how he did not start drinking until he was 25, but he quickly made up for lost time. John discusses the uh, source of pain 
um, that he's had a tendency to focus on uh, in the three areas in which he focuses on uh, money, money, employment, and relationships. All right, everybody. Without further ado, please help me welcome Mr. Reno John. Enjoy, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are very fortunate to be sitting here with Mr. John A., also known as Reno John. So John A., <laughs> Reno John, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, give you sobriety date if you wish, and then I'll kind of set it up a little bit more. Yeah, I appreciate that, John. My name is John A., and I'm an alcoholic. I got sober in uh, by the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I haven't had a drink since October 7th, 1981. How many years is that, John? It's 38. I'll be 39 this October. 39 in October. Yeah. My goodness. I guess you, uh, are you being considered an elder statesman now? Well, I would, I would tell you, the, the, uh, there's a big discrepancy going on as you travel around the country. There's old timers and then there's long timers. Sometimes they, because, you know, uh, there's a the difference. I got a guy, a sponsor, that's 35 years sober and he's got, he's only 55 years old. So how can he be an old timer? You know, so you can tell you're an old timer very, very simply. If your drug of choice is Viagra, you're an old timer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point there. I, li- I like that. Okay. So you can't go by your years. You got to go by what, what you do. If, if you're getting to get Friday night, you're getting ready for bed. About the same time you're getting ready to go out, you're an old timer. <laughs> And if you're getting up Love. Saturday morning, by the time you're getting in, you are definitely an old timer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, so uh, the reason that we're sitting here today is because actually a couple of people, uh, Bob S. and uh, Jimmy D., uh, actually both referred you over uh, to me. They've both been on uh, the podcast itself. And uh, Lee Y. also mentioned you as well. Got to be careful so, taking referrals from those guys. You know, they lie. Thank, so. thank <laughs> 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 no, they're good guys. I love those guys. Oh, they're, yeah, they're, they're good are. friends. Yes. Okay. So like I said earlier, uh, your name is Reno. Well, you, you're John A. And I am John. And we have a Jonna Palooza going on here. But you, you are known in these areas, at least, and maybe all over the country, because yeah, I know you do a lot of talking. You're known as Reno John. So how did you become Reno John? Oh, that's a, that goes back to when I moved. So I sobered up in Reno, Nevada in 81, October of 81, and I moved uh, to Dallas February of 83. And when I got to Dallas, uh, Dallas North was within walking distance of where I was staying. I stayed at my sister's place. And so I would go to Dallas North and it was a small group back then. Grew to, grew to be a huge group. But back then, you know, your average meeting was eight to 12 people in a meeting. Uh, on Friday night was our big meeting because of a joint meeting with the Al-Anons. We'd have 30, 35 at that meeting. And although it was a small group, there were a lot of Johns. And somebody had come in. We had, we had stand-up John. 
And he was a weird guy because every time he shared, they called him to share. He, he couldn't sit down and talk. He would have to get up and stand up and walk around while he, <laughs> while he shared. So they called him Stand Up John. We, we had Waiter John. Who yeah, I heard tables. of Waiter John. He was John. sober a long time. He's still so. Yeah, Waiter John. We had, and then I, I was, was Reno he John a waiter in from, a restaurant? Is that why he was? Yeah, he was a waiter in a restaurant. That was his job. He was a waiter. He's still a waiter. You know, he's got forty, like forty-five years sober, and still waiting tables. And he's a good guy. Uh, and then I was Reno, so they would come in and say, "Has anybody seen John?" And they say, well, "What's John?" And they'd say, "Well, stand up, John, or Reno, John." And that's how that name kind of got tagged on me. <laughs> and that was a fun group. We had we had a lot of weird people in that group, although it was small. We, you know, we had uh, besides those Johns, we had Dumpster Bill. You may have heard. Of, you ever heard of Dumpster Bill? I don't know. <laughs> oh, he was wonderful, Dumpster Man. He uh, his he got his name because his last drunk, he was in his uh, apartment, and he had a whole bunch of uh, he had a quart of or a gallon, half a gallon, a quart of tequila, and a whole bunch of cocaine, and he was <laughs> drinking tequila and doing cocaine with his pusher, his drug dealer, and his drug dealer. This is terrible. I shouldn't tell this. <laughs> he tells us so I can't. <laughs> his drug dealer over OD'd and died. And so mm-hmm. Bill's sitting there with a whole bunch of cocaine and a quart of tequila and a dead guy. <laughs> so, what do you do? You know, well, you finish the tequila and the cocaine. So three days later, Bill runs out of tequila and cocaine, but the guy's still dead. And uh so Bill had a old rug in his apartment. He rolls him up in a rug and takes him out and dumps him in the dumpster. And the the, ple- the, the neighbor saw him and called the cops. They came, found the body, arrested Bill. And when they did the autopsy and found out everything that had happened, they didn't have any drugs because he'd done all the drugs. But they knew the guy OD'd and died, so it wasn't Bill's fault. So the only thing they could charge Bill with was abuse to a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Bill said, man, when I was in jail, nobody bothered me. He said, word went out. You know what the guy's in here for? Man, abuse to a corpse. That's cold, man. (laughs) That's how Dumpster got his name. And and then we had Biker Ray. Of course, Biker Ray drove a bike, rode a bike, and Crazy Carol. We used to call her California Carrie, but then we found out she was just crazy, so we called her Crazy Carol. We had... uh, We had Canada Dry. That's Dorothy. You know Dorothy probably. Dorothy was Canada Dry. We had Borderline Kevin. He had Borderline written on his license plate. They called him Borderline. Why did they have Borderline written on his license plate? Oh, because they called him in treatment. They they said you were Borderline Schizophrenic. (laughs) He called himself Borderline. He put on his license plate. That's pretty good. I'm Borderline. I'm not not real schizophrenic. I'm just Borderline. So I put it on his license plate. (laughs) We had Bad Bruce. Bad Bruce was mad. He'd get and throw chairs. Just mad stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so all those guys, here's this interesting. All those guys today are have either passed away sober or are still alive sober, except for one. I don't know. Which one do you think it was? Uh I would say dumpster bit ray. Was it was <laughs> a no, dumpster bill, the biker ray. I think Dumpster Bill quit smoking. Man, he he uh, got married, doing great. He's just as square as a box can be. He lived up in Denton for a while, and then he moved to, I think he's in Kentucky now. Uh, sober, good guy. 
Biker Ray. Crazy Carol married Biker Ray. <laughs> They're still married. <laughs> Canada Drive. She's got 44 years or something like that sober. Dorothy. Dorothy was wonderful. She's still wonderful. She still goes to Dallas North today. Uh, Kevin Borderline. Kevin, Kevin had become a, a health fanatic. And he was working out twice a day, getting all cut up. You know, he was... He was uh, not smoking, wouldn't eat any fat, and he went in for a uh, varicose vein, outpatient surgery, varicose vein, 11 years sober, and went haywire, and he bled to death, died in the doctor's office. Oh, One of my best friends was Kevin, and uh, the only guy not sober. But, well, anyway, uh, uh, as, I, as I said earlier, I want two more guys I want to tell you about. That's... that's uh, Stand up, John. He died up in up in uh, Texarkana, sober. Moved Texarkana, and and of course, waiter John's still sober. He goes up to Odat now, in in uh, Plano. But the only guy who didn't stay sober is Bad Bruce. So he never could get rid of those resentments. And what does the book say about resentments? The chief thing to get us drunk is resentments, and Bruce could not get rid of resentments. And uh, he was in and out, in and out. And I don't know why. He may be dead by now. I, I would say he's probably dead because I haven't seen him for trying to come back. He, he'd be gone for 10 years and then come back and couldn't make it. So the book's really true. And it says the chief offender we got, number one problem with alcoholics, resentments. You got to avoid those. So mm. that's how, that's a long way to get to my name. But that's how, that's, that was a great group. Still a great group. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about John a little. So, where did you grow up? Is Oregon? Did you mention that earlier? No, no. I I sober up in real, but I grew up in in Utah, and uh, and I grew up in a very normal family. No alcoholism in my family whatsoever. Nobody drank in my family. Dad didn't drink. Brother and sister didn't drink. Mom didn't drink. I didn't drink growing. Up. I grew up in a very normal, healthy middle upper middle income America family. You know. And uh, never drank, went to high school, never drank in high school, very athletic, never drank in college, got married my senior year in college. Uh, really not supposed to be an alcoholic, you know, shouldn't be here, you know, grew up in a good family. We went, my, we were very active. My, uh, my dad's philosophy was that if you take your son fishing, you never go, never have to go hunting for him. And so we went every weekend, we went either fishing or hunting. I grew up in the mountains. I grew up shooting when I was 10. I got my first rifle when I was 12. We hunted everything, we, as everybody else in Utah did, and uh, learned how to take care of myself in the mountains, and I was very active. So it was a good family. You know, I shouldn't be there. Didn't start drinking until uh, I was 25 when my, when my uh, second child was born. And a guy I was hanging out with, Stuart, uh, Stuart's a good guy, but he drank and drank in the bar. I love the bar. I'd go out to Stuart, hang out in the bar, and uh, Stuart would drink whatever we drink. I drank Coke. I drink Coca Cola in the bar. I loved it. Loved everything about the bar. You know, I like all kinds of bars. I like cowboy bars. You know, lots of sawdust and peanut shells on the floor. I love those bars. I, I like New York fern bars. You know, lots of brass and glass. And uh, <laughs> I never been in a bar I didn't like. <laughs> we look for wonderful places, and I always get uh, uh, we'd get we'd get down to drinking, and I'm drinking coke. He's drinking whatever we drank, I think whiskey, and then we get some women over the table, and I loved it. 
you know, and I'm married, but I love going out of the bar and flirt with the girls. And they would, they would say, uh, well, what, what do you do, John? And I'd say, well, sometimes I would, sometimes I'd tell them I retired. Say, I, I retired. I like that. I like to do a lot of stuff. So they say, what do you do, John? I say, I retired. 24-year-old retiree. <laughs> I said, you did a lot of drinking. Oh, yeah, I did a lot of drinking. I said, I said you must have made a lot of money. I said, oh, yeah, lots of money. So I drive a Toyota. <laughs> Sometimes I say, what do you? I say, I, I dance. I dance on Broadway. Really? Yeah, dance on Broadway. Now, if you tell that lie, you can't dance the rest of the night. They say, let's go dance. No, can't dance. Can't dance. That's work for me. I'm on vacation. That's work. People pay me. To I'm not dancing. I'm doing all that sober. I ain't started drinking yet. I'm just, you know, because I like to lie. You know, that's it. I like to lie. And see, it never was good enough for me to be John Allred insurance agent. I was in the insurance business. But no, I had to be John Allred something else. And it didn't matter what that something else was as long as it was something other than what I really was. You know, if I could do anything like that. And uh, finally, when my second child was born, Stuart called me up and he said, okay, no more playing. We're drinking tonight. I'm buying. We're buying. We're going to get drunk. Celebrate. I said, okay. So we got drinking. Went out to a private club. This is my first drunk. Private club. In Utah, I had to be a member of a private club doing any drinking. I called the winery. Right downtown Salt Lake, right across from the Salt Palace. You walk in there, lights flashing, live band, women. I had my first drunk. God, was a great. I don't know what I drank. Some people know what they drank. You know, they know the beer or whatever. I don't know what I drank. They buy me a drink, dark drink, got a cherry in it. I drink it. <laughs> Next drink, a light, light colored drink, got a twist around it. I just drink it down. Somebody, somebody bought me a drink. You wouldn't believe this. They bought me a drink. It had salt all around the rim. I just drink it. <laughs> That'll make you thirsty, that salt. Finally, I, hey, I did dance that night. I did dance. I found out, man, I take a couple drinks. I can dance. Very yeah. good dancer after a couple of drinks. I bet. Yeah. Dan- dance that <laughs> night. Dan- okay. okay, I'll be on. I danced with two lesbians. <laughs> they- oh, they were out there dancing together, you know? And I thought, oh, they probably want me to join them. <laughs> I went out and then they left together and there I was alone. But I learned something. When you're drunk, there's no rejection. You're just drunk. So I sat down, drank the next drink sitting in front of me. You know, no rejection when you're drunk. Got up the next morning, really felt pretty good. It felt great. And so I called up Stuart, and I said, Stuart, I had a ball. He said, oh, you did. You did. You flat got after it, John. I said, you're going to go have a drink tonight? He said, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. I may have one. I said, what time? He said, well, John, I got to work till 3, three o'clock. Can't get out work till 3 o'clock. And I said, well, let's meet at 3.30. So I mean, at 3.30, got drunk again, you know. It's just what I, I like to drink to get drunk. I never drank socially from that time on. I never got the cocktail or the beer or the glass of wine and talked and stirred the ice and went home. Never did it. I like to drink to get drunk. In fact, three weeks after that first drunk, I remember pulling up in front of the liquor store at, at uh, 10 in the morning because they open at 10. So I'm on time. And I go in there and I buy three little those little mini bottles of vodka, like the kind you get on the airplane, you know. Yeah. And I'd take, sit out in my car and I'd crack those lids open because they told me you can't smell vodka. So I'd crack those <laughs> lids open at 10 in the morning and I'd suck those. And that's hard. Holes are only very teeny in those little mini bottles. You get a hernia sucking on those puppies, you know. And uh, then I'd be okay to go to work. <laughs> and, that's, that, and it changed immediately. 
I'm getting all kinds of trouble. And, and, and from then on, it was off to the races, you know, and I, and I, but I did have some problems and cause they, they start to tell you, don't you hate this when they start to say, man, slow down. Come on, John. And these were my friends, my drinking friends. They slow down, man. You don't need to get blasted every night. Just pace yourself. But they like to pace yourself, you know, shit. I got to know how to pace myself. I counted straws, you know, and here's the problem with alcoholism. Is it's a very complicated disease. People don't think it is, but it is very complicated. You have three parts to that thing. You know, the first part is spiritual. You get sick spiritually. The book says that if you're alcoholic, the only chance you have of recovery is a spiritual awakening. So you got that spiritual aspect of the disease. And then the second part is mental. The book says that the problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind. And the last part is physical. You have an allergy of the body. And that's the way, that's the order you get sick. You first get sick spiritually, then you get sick mentally, and then the last thing that goes to the physical body. The last thing that happens is you get sick physically and you get all kinds of, you know, liver problems and kidney problems and and uh, mental uh, brain damage and all that, and then you die. But that's where the problem is because that's the order, spiritual, mental, physical. But when you get well, it's just the opposite. You get well physically first, and then you get well mentally, and then the last thing you get well spiritually. And so what happens is, what happened to me particularly, is you go out on a Friday and you get drunk drunk. You know, there's drunk, and then there's drunk drunk. And when you really blow it out, you get drunk drunk. And the next morning you get up, and the further along you are in that process, physically it starts to take a toll on you. So the hangovers are worse. I never had hangovers initially. But as further you get in that process, the hangovers are terrible. The headaches are terrible. You're more dehydrated. takes you longer to recover. And it's just, okay, honey, I'm done. I'm done. I've hit bottom. No more. It's over. Honey, trust me. Believe me. I'm finished. It's over. No more. Never again. And when we make that speech, we could pass a lie detector test. We mean it. And then what happens is, what happened to me, a couple of days go by and you get well physically. You start to feel better. And then your mind, the mental disease kicks in and your mind says, you know, uh, I may have been a little hasty in that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I think here's here. Okay. I got the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is I've been out there drinking on an empty stomach. I can't do that. I got to eat before I go out drinking and I got to <laughs> eat while I'm drinking. If I do that, I won't have this problem. This that'll suck. That's it. I've got the problem now, honey. No more. I'm never going to get drunk with that again. I'm going to eat before I drink. I'm going to eat while I'm drinking. It's okay. I got it figured out now. I'm good. And then that doesn't work. And you think, oh, Jesus. Never again. Never. And then, wait a minute. You get well physically. And think, okay, here's the problem. Here's the, you know what they told me when I started drinking? They said, John, don't mix your drinks. If you start with beer, stay with beer. If you start with wine, stay with wine. If you start with whiskey, stay with whiskey. I've been mixing. I've been starting with this, mixing to that. No more, man. No more. If I start with beer, I'm going to stay with beer. If I start with wine, I'm going to stay with wine. Okay, I got it figured out, honey. No more. And that doesn't work. Think, oh, God. Okay, here, okay, here, okay, I got it now, honey. Here's the deal. You know, I've been drinking mixer. I've been drinking whiskey, Coke. Well, those mixers, those mixers I've been drinking, they got a lot of sugar in them. Well, I got a sugar overdose. That's the problem right there. I've been, no more, no more mixed drinks. From now it's just whiskey and water. I got that figured out. And we could just add to that at, list ad infinitum, you know. <laughs> and we never get to the solution, which is spiritual. Because we never get past the physical to the mental to the spiritual. We never get that far because the mental illness kicks in and says, now, 
It's I'm, I'm eating. I'm drinking on an empty stomach. I'm mixing my drinks. There's too much sugar in those mixed. We never get to the solution, which is spiritual. And what does the book do? What do the steps do? Step one identifies the problem. Step two is the solution, which is spiritual. Come to believe a power greater than yourself. We get to the spiritual right off the bat. Right off the bat. And, uh, and that's what helps. Because the solution starts with spirituality, not with physical or mental. We will be continuing our conversation with John A. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. There you will find approximately 130 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, we do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now I'm back to Mr. John A. So, <clears throat> start a little bit there. You were kind of talking about step one, going into step two. Where do you want to pick it up from there, Mr. John A.? Well, I don't care. We, I think it's important to uh, – here's, 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 here's what I think. you got to keep in mind that – there's some things you hear in AA that may or may not be true. And some things you hear make a lot of sense and they're not true. And some things you hear make no sense whatsoever and they are true. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you're sitting in a newcomer's meeting and newcomer's sitting there, his first meeting, he's crying his eyes out. He's just coming back. He's crying his eyes out. And uh, they're going around just for the end of the meeting. And by the way, <laughs> This happens a lot. The, the, uh, the newcomer starts to share, and he's crying his eyes out. He's, he says, you know, oh, God, it's terrible. <laughs> says, you know, a week ago tonight, just a week ago tonight, I was in a hot tub. Five naked women, all the booze <laughs> I could drink. And the old-timer in the group chimes up and says, you never have to live like that again. <laughs> <laughs> Now that sounds ridiculous, you know, and yet that's exactly right, you know. And the, and and the proof of the pudding is the newcomer says, "Oh, thank God," you know. And the guy with five years said, "Damn," <laughs> you know. So what happens is so that's right, and yet it's, it's, that makes no sense at all. And then the other guy's sitting there, and and he's and that's another thing you hear in AA all the time. And it makes a lot of sense where the, some guy will say, well, you know, I would rather have quality sobriety than quantity sobriety. Well, that sounds like it makes a lot of sense. You ever notice the guys mm. that say that never have any quantity? They always got about two years. You know, they get that brilliant thought about two years sober. They'd rather have quality than quantity. So that's absolutely wrong. And it sounds mm-hmm. pretty good. You know, the other thing is, is meeting makers make it. Is that right or wrong? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of truth to that, but there's also, I've been with guys. I took a guy up that was having a hard time. Staying. I was sponsoring him, Mike from Oklahoma. He's passed on now, but I took him with, he had about 10 months and I took him up to Oklahoma to, to uh, Denton. I was doing the steps in Denton, came back, dropped him off. It was Wednesday, 11 o'clock at night. 
about uh, seven in the morning, I get a phone call from his sister up in Oklahoma. I knew the whole family very well. And his sister says, just tell Mike, I've sold my couch. He's got no place to stay. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? Well, he got drunk last night. And when he gets drunk, he always comes up here and sleeps on my couch. I've sold it. He can't come up here and sleep on my couch. Is he didn't get drunk. We, I, he was, yeah, he was with you, John. He was with you last night doing the steps. You dropped him off at 11 o'clock. He went to the liquor store and got drunk. You know, and I thought, well, that must have been a good talk I gave. I <laughs> 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 couldn't wait to get drunk. But uh, so I've known guys that got here, Here's the problem. We have two things. You have events and you have process. And I'm an event guy. I love events. I love parties. I love concerts. I love get together. I love that stuff. You know when they start, you get ready for it. You look forward to it. And they start. You know when you're doing it and it's over, you get to go home and think about it. Have all those experiences rest. Process, I'm not too big on. You know, you never know where you are in the process. And, and you're going along and it doesn't seem to really end. You're just in the process. And you get tired. And you're trying to spend responsible. Trust the process, you know, and all that stuff. See, the meetings are events. And the steps are the process. Mm. And I get those two mixed up, you know, because I think because I've been to a meeting, I'm sober. It's kind of like sex, you know, <laughs> sex is the event, right? You know, when you're, when you're getting into it, you know, when you do it, you know, when it's over, you can smoke a share and go home, right? It's that's an event. We're excited about events. Process is love. Love is a process. And we think because we've had sex, we're in love, you know, and, uh, and all the trust and the truth and the respect and courtesy and all that stuff that goes into love, all those bricks that make up the building of love, take time. And they go yeah. on forever, you know, the event. And so I think that what happens is, is that we get, you got to have both. Because if all you have is the event in a relationship, if your relationship is only built on the event, which is sex, that relationship is doomed. Because the longer you do a particular event, whatever it may be, the more boring it gets. Mm. You know, it wears out its excitement. Mm. The process is what keeps the, the event exciting. If all you're doing is going to a meeting and you have no step work, pretty soon you'll start to say, you know, I'm tired of this damn meeting. These same people talk. They talk about the same thing. I can tell you what they're going to say before they say it. And all that mm. criticism that comes out in it, because you have no you have no process going on. You have nothing new to say, you know, and uh, and so you have to have a mixture of both. Because if you only have events, if you only have process with no fellowship, like if you only have the respect and the love, you're friends. If you don't have the sex in a relationship, you're just friends. Mm. It's not mm. it's not that intimacy that we seek in a loving relationship. And the same thing is true with the, with the program. If you only have the steps, you don't have the fellowship, the event of the meetings, it gets real, real, real stale real quick. So you have to have a mixture of both of those if you're going to do it. And you're going to go through that process. And I will tell you, I, uh, I was working that process up in, in Reno when I was in Reno with my sponsor, Don. And took the third step on my knees with Don turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And when I did that, it was wonderful. I turned everything over to God in that third step, except for there were just three little things that I didn't turn over to God because I fit. My mind told me, never asked Don about it, 
My mind, I just figured it out by myself. My mind told me, well, first of all, God doesn't really care about money, right? He doesn't care about money because he's, he loves the rich and the poor. So he didn't give a damn about money. So if God didn't care about money, I will manage my money. And then the next one was, uh, God doesn't care about employment. He doesn't care where you work because he loves the bank president and the ditch digger, right? He doesn't care where you work. So if he didn't care about employment, I will manage my employment. And uh, the last one was relationships. God didn't really care who you date, John. And I never asked Don that. Does Don care who I date? I just figured it out. Because I, I really thought, and I believe this, that Don, that God really wasn't interested in the same kind of date I was interested in. <laughs> so <laughs> I will manage my relationships. And uh, now what happened when my mind did that to me is that whenever I've had to call my sponsor after midnight, or whenever anybody I sponsors call me after midnight, the source of that pain always comes from one of three areas. And it's always money, employment, or women. And those are the three mm. things I'm in charge of. In fact, I got to the point where if you haven't figured out by now, you're only going to have two problems the rest of your life. Only two. If you're working the steps, if you're sober and you're free of alcohol, you're only going to have two problems. And it's either going to be employment, or actually it's going to be money, or it's going to be relationships. And if you haven't figured out by now, employment and relation and money is real closely related. If you got a job, you're okay. If you're not, you're screwed. So get a job. So those are the money or relationships. And my sponsor, I would call my sponsor with a problem and it would take me, I was embarrassed talking about some stuff. It would take me an hour to get around to the problem. And he'd, so he said, John, we're going to color code your problems. So you call me, I'm going to ask you, which color is it? You tell me and that'll save us a 30 minute conversation. And so it's either going to be a pink or green problem. You know, <laughs> that's going to be the problem. Pink or green. And a lot of times the green really affects the pink. I got to tell you that. It really does. So I'm, <laughs> I'm living in Reno, Nevada. I'm managing my employment by not working. I'm, I'm playing poker for a living. I'm not working. I manage my money so I can play poker. I've been sober about three months and, and uh, fell in love. Oh, God. <laughs> this was the real deal. I know right. you don't think it was, but this was the real deal. This was love at the at the highest, you know. <laughs> Picked her up in a bar. <laughs> well, the book says the book says check your motives, and if you have a reason to go, you can go. You'll be all right. And I had a reason to go to that bar, and I succeeded. And uh, <laughs> it was the real love. It was just love. Beautiful gal. Beautiful gal. She was not an alcoholic. Not not to my knowledge, she was not an alcoholic. She was a hypochondriac. <laughs> and they're a lot like alcoholics, but instead of liking to go to the bar at night, she liked to go to the hospital. It was the damnedest thing ever seen. We take her to the hospital all the time. Take her to the hospital. You know, we're down there one night. Nurse comes out, big thick file. She says, Val is very, very sick. And I said, Well, thank God. We've been down here every single night this week. And she she went over the file with her. And this this gal had had seven, she was 30 years old. She had 17 operations. 17. Whoa. You know what my mind said? This is great. This is wonderful. I mean, think about that. I am an alcoholic. I have a real disease. She just thinks she's sick. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to get real active in hypochondriacs anonymous. I'll get real active in alcoholics anonymous, and we'll just get well together. That's what we do in AA, right? We, we get together, and we love each other, and support each other, and we just get well together. This will be great. You know? <laughs> is there such a thing as hypochondriacs anonymous? No, I don't know if there is or not, but I thought there might be. But it, it was a sick deal, man. Painful deal. Kept talking to my sponsor about it. He said, well, leave. I can't, Don. I love her. 
I love her, Don. You don't even know what love is. So damn old. You forgot what love is all about. I love her, Don. I'm not leaving. You can't. I can't leave, Don. I love her. You got a car? Yeah, I got a car. Why? Back your car up. Put your open the trunk. Put your shit in. Go. No, I can't, Don. I love her. I love her, Don. I'm not. I'm not gonna do that, Don. I love her, Don. And I didn't even really mind her five kids. I mean, it was it was one of those things where she had five kids. Okay, and uh, because I loved her, she was a beautiful gal. Loved her. Just loved her. My sponsor kept trying to explain to me two dinglings don't make a bell. I <laughs> <laughs> was sick. Painful deal. You ever notice you can't leave a sick deal? The sicker yeah. the deal, the tougher. You can't leave a sick deal. Right. That's why it's sick, by the way, you know? And uh, so I'm sitting there. I'm coming up 11 months sober. Uh, by the way, I stuck around for her 18th operation. I took her in for her 18th operation. They finally took out her gallbladder. Woman, woman's got nothing left inside. Hollow. She's hollow inside. Echoes when she walks. I mean, it's just a <laughs> sick deal. And I thought, I'm helping. I love her. So I'm 11, coming up 11 months sober. I'm working with my sponsor, Don, taking the third step, turn my woman life over the care of God, except for those three little areas, money, employment, and women. And uh, 11 months over, she, she, she kicks me out. <laughs> she wasn't as sick as I thought she was, you know. So there I am, I'm 11 months over, and, and she kicked me out. And, and so I slept in my car that night, went down to, my sponsor was working in the central office, went down to my car, and uh, gosh. I'm crying. I'm telling myself, Don, I, you know, I lost all my money last night. Don't have any money. She's kicked me out. I sleep in my car last night. I got nothing. Don smokes cigarettes. Oh, thank God. And I said, Don, I said, this isn't just a little cash flow crunch we're talking about here. You know, this isn't so I got to wait till payday. Then I need to get paid and I'll be okay. I got no payday coming because I'm not working, Don. <laughs> this is a big deal. He smoked cigarettes. Oh, thank God. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, John, he said, You've been walking on A like a hotshot now for 11 months. you got a great meeting program, but now you get to find your source that's going to take care of you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I call that source God. I said, well, what do we do? He said, well, although uh, you're going to start to practice, although you're going to start to practice the seventh tradition in your own life. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're going to be self-supporting through your own contribution, declining outside help. Mm-hmm. What does that really mean? <laughs> he said, you don't borrow any money. So I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to hear about you borrowing 20 bucks from another AA. You borrow 20 bucks from another AA, get a new sponsor. That's not your source. You're going to find the mm-hmm. source. You don't borrow money from your mom. In fact, I don't want you calling your mom. You call your mom, you'll cry. She'll cry. She'll send you some money. It may kill you. So you don't borrow any money. And you get a job. And the next thing is, although you're a bum and it's not God's will that you look like a bum. You're going to look and act like what you are, which is one of God's kids. So I would, I would sleep in my car. I'd get up in the morning. I'd walk down to the Shell Station. I'd take a sponge bath in the men's room at the Shell Station. And shave. had to shave every day, you know, because I'm supposed to go out and look for work. And I had two outfits that rotated every other day. I washed one, the, ro- the outfit I wore yesterday. I washed it out in the sink and hang it up in the back of my car. And then I wore the other outfit uh, that day. I had to wear a little tie and I'd go out and look for work. And I couldn't find a job. It was terrible. Just couldn't find a job. And I looked everywhere. And uh, I used to walk around the casino. But I couldn't burn any money. So I'd walk up and down rows and rows of slot machines looking for nickels, dimes, and quarters. You know, because people back then, they, they paid off in real money instead of the, now they give you a receipt, a paper receipt. But that, back then, they paid off in real money in the bottom. And people would scoop up their winnings, run off, and leave a quarter or a dime or a dollar in the bottom of the slot machine. I'd 
walk up and down rows and rows looking for nickels, dimes, and quarters. I'd make about two bucks doing that. It'd take you 18 hours. You, know, mm. you can actually find money. I got down to 135 pounds. I'm 175 right now. I was 135 pounds. And uh, I used to sweep out a bar. Lady owned a 751 bar in South Virginia. She let me sweep. She was in AA but never could get sober. But she would let me come down to her bar and sweep out her bar and straight up her liquor closet she, every Friday. She'd feed me lunch, pay me five bucks. And my sponsor gave me some great advice. He told me, he said, uh, you can't help somebody do something you haven't done. So, so you don't go down there to the dryers club and ask those guys at the dryers club at noon at the lunch bunch group how to get a job because they don't know or they'd go get one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you don't do that. So he said, I can only talk to three people. I could talk to my sponsor or his sponsor, which was Bob H or Bob's sponsor, which was Pete T. They're all dead now. But those are the only three guys I could talk to. And, uh, and it wasn't working. I've been going to AA over a year. I'm working on a year and a month, a year and two months, and it wasn't working. I mean, I'd done everything they told me to do, and I'm living in my car. I got no job. I got no money. I got no place to stay. I'm living in my car. I'm 135 pounds, and it ain't working, you know? And I just bounce in and out of wanting to commit suicide and being afraid I was going to die. Mm. Nothing insane about that, is there? Mm. And uh, I told my sponsor, I was saying I, I didn't mind dying, but I was afraid if I die, I don't know anybody. I don't have any family in Reno. And no, who are they going to notify? They're not going to no, no, notify AA. They're just going to find John A. dead, you know? I have a driver's license, but it's uh, who are they going to tell? And so I was afraid nobody would know. And my my kids wouldn't know that their dad really loved them and they were sober. My, my ex-wife wouldn't know. My mom and dad wouldn't know. My brother, no one would know. And uh, from telling my sponsor, my sponsor says, so you're afraid that if you die, no one will know. I said, yeah. He said, I can fix that for you. I said, how? So I got out a piece of paper from the desk and wrote, uh, in case of emergency, called Don. And he put his phone number on it. He said, what's your mom's name? I put my mom's name. He put her phone number on it. And he handed it to me. He said, now put that in your wallet. Now, if you die, they'll know who to call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I felt good about that. I carried that around with me for, for four years. <laughs> you know, it was, it was wonderful. But it wasn't working. Uh -huh. I didn't know what to do about it, you know. And they told me at the at the... Uh, Don told me, he said, now tomorrow I was going to go to the men's stag meeting. And he said, that your men's stag meeting, ask them to talk to somebody after the meeting that's lived under the bridge. Because Don said, I never lived under the bridge. So I asked him how to live under the bridge. Because I know some guys down there that have, and they'll tell you how to live under the bridge. Because it can't help somebody that you haven't done. So you got to talk to somebody that's got that experience. So I did that. And they came up and they said, hey, it's no problem. Uh, Cliff told me that. He said, you just go down here to the blood plasma, sell your plasma at the Blood plasma said you get seven dollars. Back then in '81, it was seven dollars. And uh, he said, then you go to a social security office, apply for a food stamps, emergency food stamps. They give you some emergency food stamps because you're in that condition. So you can sell those on the street. Hell, you can have twenty bucks by tomorrow night. I was so excited I couldn't sleep. So I go to the social security. I, I go to the blood bank, sell my blood. Next day, they wouldn't take my blood. You had to have two forms of ID. One of them had to have a picture. Oh, I, no. I had a driver's license, but no picture. It was a special driver's license. It said right on it, special driver's license. They only give it to special people, you know. <laughs> it allows you to drive during special hours. So I had my <laughs> – and I didn't have any other ID, so they wouldn't give me any blood. Any, 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 they wouldn't take my blood. So I go to the Social Security office, get my food stamps. I'm not discouraged. It's only 7 bucks. They wouldn't give me any food stamps. You have to have your Social Security card. And I knew my number, but I said, I, I know the number. Well, we need the card. 
It's about four hundred. Mm-hmm. I lost my wallet one time when I was drunk. Lost my so I didn't have any social security card. And they said, "No, we need the card. Fill this form out. We'll mail it to you." Mm-hmm. Oh, right. How long did that take? Six weeks. Where are you going to mail it? You know, I'm living in my car. But anyway, <laughs> just, just wasn't working. I couldn't find anything, anything to do, and it was November, and it's snowy, and it's, and it's cold in November. I'm freezing. And uh, it wasn't working. And I'm out at the state hospital on a Friday night, 7 o'clock meeting. It's a gratitude meeting in November. Every meeting is a gratitude. And I'm crying in the meeting because I'm scared. Because I'm not eating. I'm 135 pounds. And I figure my nose is running. I'm going to get sick. And I am going to get pneumonia and die. And I don't know what to do. And I'm crying. And there's a gratitude meeting. And they're talking. And they call on me to share. And I was grateful that night for some things I never thought about. And I was grateful that I, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic environment. I'd heard some of the horror stories y'all told sitting around these meetings, some of the stuff you guys had to go through. And I didn't grow up that way. I was grateful for that. And felt so sorry for y'all. Because I know, I, you know, I didn't have to go through that. I was grateful that when I got divorced, I had a little battle for the kids, custody battle. I was so grateful the judge gave custody to my ex-wife. I mean, what would happen if I'd have got custody? My God, I'm living in my car. I can't take care of me. How am I going to take care of them? So I was mm-hmm. grateful for that stuff. And then uh, after the meeting, the guy, I'm getting ready to leave in Conklin. Conklin was old money, big money, old family money. I saw him come over and talk to me, and I thought, well, it is about time. You know, <laughs> Conklin's so <laughs> impressed with me. He's going to make me president of his fur company. And <laughs> just delusional. He comes up and puts his arm around me and says, God, I love you, John. I said, I, I, I love you too, Conklin. He said, I hope you get in AA. And I said, Conklin, I've been in AA. You know that. I've been coming here for over a year. He said, I know. He said, I just hope you work the steps. I said, I have. I'm working the steps. He said, well, take, I hope you take the third step. I said, I've taken the third step. I took it on my knees with Don. You know Don? He said, John, I don't want to offend you. I love you. I have no doubt you said the prayer. But let me know how I tell you why, why I know you haven't taken the step. I know you said the third step prayer, but you haven't taken the step. The reason I know that is because the third step says that we made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care, to the care of God. And the reason I know you haven't taken that step is because God takes better care of his kids than the way you're living. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, Jesus. How can you argue with that? That cut me like a hot knife through butter. I said, how do you do that? He said, oh, you can't. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing. You know? <laughs> 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 that did me a lot of good. All right, John. Yeah, so here's the thing. You, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Will you please come back and do a follow-up and kind of uh, – we're, you're just now getting sober, basically. Uh, it, it, will you come back and uh, do a, a second round at some point? Yeah. That'd be, be great, Tom. This is exactly what happened with your friend Bob S., by the way. Uh, we came and we were going to do an episode, and we got to the end of it, and uh, he was just getting sober. And so we came back and did a, a second session. So what I always do is uh, I finished this up with page 164 of the big book. If I can find it here real quick. Um, 
Excuse me just a moment. There it is. Um, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. John A., thank you so much for coming in here and joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, John. It's been my, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Reno John. Maybe I need to consider if I have truly given my life to the care of God. And maybe that's something for you to think about as well. If this was an episode that you enjoyed and you believe that somebody else could benefit from this episode, please take a moment to pause your device and share it with a friend or family member. It may be just the thing they need to hear today. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback for you. The first bit of listener feedback here is something that came in just recently through our website. And this just goes to show you I don't stack the deck. All right, Dave H. writes in on the website and he says, I tried listening to the new episode. Don't know which one he meant by the new episode. He says, but lost interest before the quote MC unquote was done talking. And just in case you're wondering who the MC is, that would be moi. He says, incredibly annoying listening to your comedy when I needed to hear AA. Hope this is legible. I can't see it well because the text is white on the white background. And I guess that is the messenger piece through the website. But, well, you know, I wrote Dave H. back, and I truly do hope that he finds what he is looking for. But it just goes to show you, folks, can't please all the people all the time. And, uh, you know, and I realize that I am not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm thankful for you that do listen in. Thanks for the writing in, though, Mr. Dave H. All right. Susan writes in and she says, hi, John. Awesome. Big exclamation point. Thank you for bringing Bill C. to Zoom. That's the episode that we had last week, Mr. Bill C. Live. And it was a fantastic time. We all had a good time. Anyway, she says, your podcast has been a lifesaver to me. I listened to it prior to COVID-19, but now it's my meeting while I am unable to go to meetings. I am new to AA. 12-26-19 is my sobriety date. Unfortunately, I was not able to find a sponsor prior to COVID-19. So your podcast is holding me over until I can get back into the rooms. First on the list when I get back with my people is to get connected. Good job, Susan. I started in Al-Anon when my daughter went to rehab. 
I went to AA meetings with her and just sponged it all in. I've heard this story before. I didn't think I had a problem with my drinking. However, the more Al-Anon and AA meetings I went to, it became obvious that I was powerless over everything. I was coping with my powerlessness over other people's addictions by drinking to stop the spin. I was either spinning about how to control everything and everyone, or I was drinking to stop the spin. Anyway, thank you. I feel like I can breathe again, Susan. Thank you so much, Susan. And I uh, feel like I can take a deep breath as well when I see emails like yours. I really do appreciate it. Suzanne writes in, not Susan, Suzanne Oh, Susanna, won't you pray for me? Not pray for me, uh, sing to me. Oh, gosh, I don't know what that song is. But nonetheless, you know what? If that guy Dave H. was listening in still, he would absolutely hate this. Nonetheless, Suzanne writes in and she says, Hi, John, I entered the rooms on June 20th, 1994. I had been sober for eight miserable years on my own, then relapsed for a year and surrendered to AA with gratitude. In June, I will have 26 years. Yeehaw, Suzanne. For the first 10 years, I was all in. GSR, sponsor, went to many conventions, attended many meetings almost every day. Then I was diagnosed with Crohn's, and I have spent the last 20 years in that world. I am also a Tibetan Buddhist and took refuge in 1994. Without AA and Buddhist practice, I would not have survived Crohn's. I have had 28 to 30 surgery, five of which were over nine hours long. Yep, hard. Oh my goodness, Suzanne. Anyway, she says, I came late to the meeting as it wasn't clear. It's Oh, she's talking about she came into the Bill C meeting two hours late, uh, and she wasn't clear it was starting uh, at that time on the West Coast. I got an invite from Bill and made an assumption uh, it was starting at that particular time because he's in California. I'm in Oregon. I would love to hear more speakers like Bill and hope so much uh, you continue doing them online. Our lives have changed and Zoom is now part of it. All the speakers that resonate with me have been have passed to the big meeting. Uh, Scott Redmond, yes, I know Scott Redmond, and so many others. Sandy Beach, yes. Um, I'm old school. I'm an old school big book thumper in those years with Crohn's. I was alone most of the time and didn't go to meetings ever as I couldn't leave the house, but schooled well in the big book is in my bones. Love to you and your wife. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for what you do for all of us. And I love Bill. She's talking about Bill C. He saved me when I was having a medical crisis and contemplated suicide to stop the pain and suffering. He got me to my GI doctor involved and he was hospitalized uh, and he hospitalized me and came to talk to me every day. Oh, wow. Now I am in remission. Woo! She says, love Suzanne, that's W-H-O-O-T, exclamation mark, exclamation point. Well, that is great, Suzanne. So good to hear from you. And I, gosh, I had no idea that you and Bill C were that uh, connected. God bless you. Darlene writes in and she says, hey, John, the live 
Zoom meeting with Bill C. tonight was awesome. I think I saw 327 participants at one time signed in. Well, you're right. That was 327 at one time, but we probably had at least 350 because there was a lot of people who came in toward the end and some were dropping off and all that sort of stuff. But it was really neat to see all of you there. Neat to put a face to the voice, Bill C., that includes you and your wife, Shannon, as well. Well, thank you, Darlene. I don't know if I'll ever make it to Fresco, Texas. She means Frisco, Texas. I think Fresco is like a, isn't that like a drink? No, that's Fresca. But Fresco is like a, is that like some sort of a Italian pasta thing? Nonetheless, but the Zoom meeting provided a great opportunity to feel connected to an AA event in addition to my local nightly AA meetings that my group was holding via Zoom. Thank you so much for setting this up. All the best, Darlene. Well, Darlene, thank you for attending. We appreciate you being there. Bill A. writes in and Bill says, Hi, John, a sober friend of mine in in Toronto who gets the daily emails from Bill C. told me about the open open meeting last night. I really needed a speaker meeting and Bill C.'s talk was very insightful and meaningful to me. I very much want to share his talk with a couple of sponsees and a couple of friends of mine. I have gone to your podcast site to look for Bill's talk and no luck yet. I guess I'm assuming you're going to put it up on the website at some point. As for my sobriety, it is interesting because I'm 34 and a half years sober and 72 years old, just like Bill. And I got sober in Venice Beach, just up the road from Bill. Thanks uh, so much. uh, And I'll look for Bill's podcast uh, on your website. All right. So I've had a lot of people talk to me about this. I can't remember if I talked about this on the beginning of the episode today, but uh, we're going to have Bill C's episode uh, uh, edited. Here's what it is. Here's what it comes down to. It just takes me a while to get it edited and get it posted and get it up on the website. It'll probably be three or four weeks, something like that. But we're definitely going to have that live event uh, posted up on the website and as a as a as a podcast, basically, uh, as an episode uh, eventually here. Thank you. Nick writes in Nick without a K for what it's worth. Anyway. Hi, John. It's very kind. I'm, it's very kind of you to ask. I am Nick C from AA Melbourne, Australia. One year into the rooms. Another member, Steve B from Melbourne, put me into your Zoom event with Bill C and it was great. I love to share and I love the way you interviewed him and not being able to, and, and being able to see it live. You know, it is kind of different live. I guess it's kind of like watching a sporting event live versus uh, uh, the tape of it. Anyway, I saw that you have a bunch of interesting podcasts saved too. I love the practical stuff about how people are living in the steps, especially three and 10 through 12. And I don't hear much about it in a practical hands-on way around here in Melbourne. Sometimes people talk a lot in abstract generalities and philosophical terms, which is great for what it is, but then I don't know how it's supposed to work in the blow-by-blow of everyday life. Looking forward to checking out your St. Francis Step 11 podcast. Well, you know, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, um, but that is truly just me uh, reciting the Step 11 prayer, Mr. Nick. And he says, curious about your Al-Anon podcast too. I've sussed out 
Al-Anon, but they're very mysterious and almost secretive about the Al-Anon steps around here. Whereas in AA, it's up front and in your face, although perhaps that's just how it's supposed to be in Al-Anon. Thank you so much for your service. It made a big difference already. Kind regards, Nick. Well, Nick, you know, I have several episodes uh, of Al-Anon on the podcast here. Uh, they don't seem to be secretive about it to me. Maybe it is in your area. But I also referred Nick over to a Spencer's recovery podcast called The Recovery Show. And it's all Al-Anon all the time. And why don't you check that out? I think you'll enjoy it. Steve writes in, he says, Hi, John, my sobriety date is April 7th, 1984. It's my second sobriety date. I had eight plus years and relapsed for about six months. Almost cost me my life. I'm a native New Yorker. Um, I had lived most of my life in Manhattan. As a result of the, of the relapse, I spent 28 days in the Smithers Rehab in April through May of 1984. Last two years, I held a position in an advertising agency in Singapore. I retired in 1998. That's where I met my wife, Kate. She is Australian. Um, for the last 16 months, my wife, Kate, and I have lived in Tasmania, Australia. Will you Tasmanian devil you? We live here uh, off the base straits in a small, small rural town of Leith. Kate's mom lives here, and we have immigrated from Las Vegas to be assistance to her. She turned 80 last week, and we are blessed that she continues to be in good health. Being with her for Mother's Day was a blessing for all of us. I'm 71 and I have been sober for more than half of my life. Thanks to Higher Power and the Spiritual Fellowship of AA. How did I find Sober Speak? Well, I have been on Bill C's daily email list for years. He, he mentioned that he was speaking on Friday night, so I joined in. Great meeting format. We had last seen each other, he and Billy's talking about, when he was in Sydney for a roundup back in October of last year. Thank you for your service. I'm so glad to have found Sober Speaks. Kind regards, Steve. Well, thank you down there, down under, Mr. I don't, down there, down under. I don't know what I'm saying there. Uh, Mr. Steve, thank you so much for your feedback. And uh, I'm glad that you and your mother-in-law and your wife are safe. Gloria writes it. Actually, did I say Steve? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was Steve. I'm so sorry, folks. Anyway, I'm losing my place here. Uh, Gloria writes in and she says, Hi, John. Your wonderful podcast has been a blessing in my life now for a while, and I'm so glad I stumbled upon it while searching sobriety on the podcast app. I would like to be part of the secret Facebook group community. The email associated with my Facebook group is such and such. She says, I mostly listen to your podcast in the car. I listened to three yesterday while driving from Heber, Utah to Montpelier, Idaho. These speakers are so inspiring. I need to listen to them again when I'm not driving so I can write down the inspirational things they so freely share. Thank you for your wonderful work. In gratitude, Gloria. Well, Gloria, thank you. And if you're out on one of those trips again, hello. I'm glad you're able to listen to us. And I think I hope you can listen to them while you're stabilized. 
Patricia writes in and she says, thanks, John. I really enjoyed the podcast. And every time I hear you say a word in Spanish, <laughs> even if it only attempts, I can't wait for the sober Zoom. Uh, gracias por tu servicio. She says, thank you for your service. So what Patricia is talking about there is uh, that she knows I try my bilinguality. She knows I try my Spanish words sometimes and I don't quite get them right. And she is amused by that. And uh, anyway, thanks for writing in, Patricia. Kim writes in and she says, thanks for the shows. They're informative and entertaining. Keep up the good work, smiley face. Well, thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Michael writes in and he says, thank you for all your work that you do on the podcast. It is fantastic. It has really enhanced my sobriety. Keep up the good work. I will be listening out there. I hope to meet you one day. I live in North Dallas uh, and I go to the Preston Group. Well, I hope we meet someday too, Mr. Michael. Um, you know, I do come down to the Preston Group every once in a while and I hope to meet you eyeball to eyeball. Allison writes in and she says, Hi, John, your time and service is very much appreciated. My sponsor enjoys Bill C's shares, and he forwarded me the link this past Friday. I am so grateful that she did, as it put me in touch with your website and links to the speaker talks. Woohoo! She says, I love listening and experiencing whatever I am supposed to hear, and Bill's chat was wonderful. I live in Seattle, Washington. I try not to focus too much on time, as it truly is one day at a time, yet... I have some years of consecutive sobriety going on. I have worked the steps and I sponsor others in need of a sponsor. I will look forward to giving a listen to some of the other talks on your podcast and will definitely reach out if something resonates. Um, and uh, much appreciation, Allison. All right, everybody. Once again, that is a wrap for another week. I will try my best to make it back Next week, as you know, I am one week at a time. God bless you all. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.